0: Good morning my name is Gary I'm going to be reading for you this morning just then his disciples came back they were shocked to find him talking to a woman but none of them had the nerve to ask what do you want with her or why are you talking to her the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me, and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many to, I'm sorry, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world.
1: All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you keep pursuing us even when we run away from you. Help us to hear what you are saying to us today, to take it to apply it everywhere we go so we can reap a harvest for your kingdom and bring the, 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 the sons and daughters that you're desperately searching for back into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Jesse. I'm blessed to serve in the children's ministry. And one thing that I really love about Pennsylvania, seasons. Great, awesome seasons. Especially this time of year is fall, is autumn. Normally we like to call that harvest time. Because for most crops and most plants, people sow the seed in the spring, or farmers sow the seed in the spring, and it kind of grows and and not... It grows and develops and gets cultivated throughout the summer, but the harvest is ready this time of year. Now, today we're going to be looking at things way more important than pumpkins and tomatoes and grapes. We're looking at people. And last week, Pastor Joseph began the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is traveling through Samaria with a group of people known as Samaritans, people that folks like Jesus... Did not not just like they despised they hated, and he stops at the well at a well and he's really tired from a long long walk, and he asks a woman for a drink, and she can't believe he's talking to her. She says, "You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me?" And his response is, "If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water." And then she's even more blown away. Where are you going to get this living water? You don't even have a rope. You don't have a bucket. He said, anybody that drinks this water that comes from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you're going to never thirst again. And she's still blown away. So he, he says, go get your husband. Her response is, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, you have five husbands. You've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the, to the man you're living with now. You must be a prophet. <laughs> well, listen, you know, why do the Jews worship God here, and we worship him here? He goes, it's not going to matter where you worship God. It's going to matter that you worship him in spirit and in truth. Just, I can see you're a prophet. You know, The Messiah, he's going to make all things clear to us. That word Messiah basically means the Savior of the world. He's going to explain everything to us when he comes. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior of the world. You've seen him face to face. And when you read the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, he makes that claim about being the Messiah over and over and over again. So let's pick up our story in John 4, 27. So this conversation has begun. And just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? Jesus' disciples had learned from all their travels and time together that even if he was doing something you didn't understand, something that seemed odd or something crazy, there was something good behind it. There was a bigger purpose behind it. So they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. What's the big deal about talking to a woman? I talk to women every day. I'm thankful and blessed to talk to women all the time. But Jesus revolutionized how women are viewed and treated. Nobody has done more for women in the history of this world than Jesus Christ. And the way women were treated back in those days, this is not equal pay for equal work. This is not voting rights. This is not right to work. This is, women were property. Women were owned by man. If you were a wife or a daughter, you had to do everything the man of the house said to do. A man could divorce you for any reason. On the spot, no support. He could just say, here honey, I've had enough of you. I don't like your cooking anymore. Get away. And off you go. Even more so, Men were discouraged from talking to women in public. Husbands often didn't talk to their wives in public. But even worse, the women of that culture of Jewish society were really excluded from public worship gatherings. And the men were not really encouraged to teach them what the Scripture said. They were, they were really discouraged from teaching the, the, the women and their daughters what the law was. What the word was. So Jesus is talking to a woman. He's not bossing her around. He's not telling her to They're having a respectful, civil conversation. So this is earth-shattering. And it continues. So the woman, after he tells her that he's the Messiah, left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Could he possibly be the Savior? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. He wasn't telling her stuff she really wanted announced. I don't think she was going around saying, I've had five husbands, and the man I'm living with isn't even my husband. She, you know, she... But he pointed those things out to her to, to, to show her that he was the Messiah. And he wasn't condemning her. So she leaves her water jar... The reason, the whole reason she had come to that well in the first place was to get water. There wasn't any running water. There wasn't, you know, water treatment. If you wanted something to drink, you had to go to a well. So she drops the jar and goes running back to the Samaritan village, come and see somebody who told me everything I ever did. So the people, the Samaritans came from the village to see him. Now, to give you guys a, a better understanding of who these Samaritans actually were, they were pretty much half Jews, half Gentiles. They were Jews whose land had been conquered by the Assyrians, and some of them had married Assyrians, and, in the, and, and, and in the, they had kind of started their own faith, their own religious tradition. And in the eyes of a lot of Jews, they were looked down upon as half-breeds, inbreds, you know, religious cast-offs. They would believe some parts of the law, but they wouldn't believe the prophets. So this was not, they just had a disagreement. This was a vile hatred that went on for generations. But Jesus is now not just talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Which kind of, which really shows us that people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus and wanted to be with Jesus. And as Jesus followers, a question I need to ask myself are, do people who are nothing like Jesse want to be with Jesse? Do they like being around Jesse? Do they like being around us? Because Jesus was always elevating the castoffs, the outcasts, the downtrodden, the people that nobody wanted to be around. Jesus was always lifting them up, lifting them up, lifting them up. And for many people in our world, in our society, in our community, that's not been their experience with people who claim the name of Jesus. It's not been lifting you up. It's been a lot of, you know, rebuking, correcting, and condemnation. The story continues. So, meanwhile, the disciples had gotten something to eat, to get some food. They were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food. You know nothing about. I'm like, what is he talking about? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And he's not talking about cooking food a, cer- a certain way or different seasonings. He said, no. Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God and from finishing his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. Jesus says, my nourishment, what gives me strength, what makes me happy is to do the will of God and from finishing his work, the work of bringing people back into a relationship with him, people bringing people that don't know him, people who have been separated by their sin, that's what gives me strength. That's what makes me happy because I know it makes my father happy. And it is my desire to make my father happy, to bring him joy. He says, wake up, the fields are ripe for the harvest. And in 2022, the fields are still ripe for the harvest. Fields are ripe for harvest. It's all around us, and it's everywhere we go. But I have to be willing to leave leave this gathering space. We were just singing, Jesus, where you go, I go, I will follow. And unfortunately for many of us in the American church, we will follow Jesus right up until we get to the harvest field. And then we're like, this is getting a little awkward. This is getting uncomfortable. This is getting difficult. There's resistance. There's rejection. I don't know if I want to go here. I don't know if I want to go there. But it is so great to see a room full of seeds that have been planted, grown, developed, and now harvested. I'm looking at a harvest right now, and there's a harvest waiting for us everywhere we go. Jesus and, and his disciples, they grew up in a very agricultural society. There wasn't a lot of grocery stores, or places to, I mean, there were some markets and things like that, but they were a much more farming society. And they knew there's an urgency to harvesting. If you don't harvest, you're not going to eat. You're going to die. This isn't, this, this, is, this is a matter of life and death. There was an urgency. we got to get the harvest. We've got to get the crops. We've got to get the food here makes me ask, do we harvest with any urgency? As Jesus followers, do we harvest with any urgency? Is there an eager desire? How eager am I to see people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus? Because unfortunately, when I look at the American church today, I see that we are very eager to fight for our rights. We are very eager... To stand up for our politics. We are eager to let you know my values and principles online. But do I have a real eagerness to go where the harvest is? To get to know somebody? Harvesting is dirty work. I'm going to get my hands dirty. It's not easy work. And it takes some time. But am I eager to do this? So where's the harvest? harvest its all around us. The harvest is not in our gathering space. That's one place where people can come to know Jesus, but the harvest is not here. It's not in the ballot box. There's places everywhere we go where we can reap a harvest. The first place that we're going to look at is our home. There's a harvest in our home that we can go after. If you're married, Your marriage is a reflection of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And as a husband, what I'm called to do is to love my wife and to serve my wife and to help my wife and to be Jesus to my wife and to help her grow and become more and more like Jesus every day as she deals with the demands of raising our three kids and everything else going on. Then it's for our children. For our children. Our children are seeds that are being sown, but as, as, as parents, it is our calling. Very high calling to keep sowing that seed, watering that seed, nurturing that seed, and not just expecting that they're going to follow Jesus just because I bring them to church. Am I teaching them about Jesus by the things that I, let me go back to the by the by the way that I treat them? Am I showing them about Jesus by the way that I treat my wife? A lot of students who were raised in the church, when they go off to college and they come across people with a different point of view, different way of thinking, because they have not been given a real foundation of faith or their parents really haven't shown them or taught them about Jesus, they leave the faith. They leave the faith. And 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 I've heard a lot of stories of I was raised in a Christian home and my parents went to church, but then all throughout the week I saw the way my dad treated my mom, and I really didn't see Jesus in that. I didn't. My dad never wanted to, to spend any time with me. My mom was always yelling at me. I wasn't really seeing Jesus in that. And and so my greatest desire, as a man, is to take care of the garden that God has put in front of me, my home. To nurture my marriage, to show and teach our kids who Jesus is, and for them to see Daddy trusting God, and, not, and, not, and I'm going to make mistakes, but that He is my primary goal, and I want them to know Him. The other great thing is your home is a witness to this world. People that don't know Jesus look at our marriages and look at the way we raise our children because both relationships are about sacrificial love. It's about sacrificial love and I'm showing Jesus by the way that I treat my wife and I'm showing Jesus by the way that I treat my children. It is a witness to this world. Now if you're here and you're single, you've got a great opportunity because I was single until I was 37. By the grace of God, I didn't just sit around and wait around to find a wife. That's not what you're called to do, to be a spouse in waiting. You're following Jesus to the harvest field as someone who's single. As a, 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 in your home, you have a great opportunity because you have a lot more time. You can connect with people. Use your home as a place to welcome folks, to get to know people that you meet at work, that you meet at school, that you meet, you know, in the community. It's a great place to connect. Some of you have amazing gifts of hospitality. You can use your home. That's a great one way that we can harvest. Another place is in our neighborhood and in our community. We've been very blessed. We relocated to Schnecksville about five years ago, and I grew up in the south. This is the friendliest neighborhood I've ever lived in. The people here were like, we had a couple bring us meals before we even moved in and everybody has been very generous and gracious and kind of putting aside that Pennsylvania reputation that nobody wants to talk to anybody but who am I getting to know in my neighborhood do I spend the time praying for my neighborhood do I spend the time talking to other people talking and getting to know the people in my neighborhood the people that aren't like me it's a great opportunity. And when I'm out in the community, you know, some of, you know, some of you all have children. How involved am I in the school? What am I doing to help people at the school, in the sports activities, in the clubs, and the different things that, that we participate in on a weekly basis? It's a great opportunity to harvest that, to go back and to go in the harvest fields and bring people into the family of God. The next place is where we work. Where we work is a great harvest field. We can harvest by the way that we do our job. We, when we do our job, the Bible says to do everything, not unto, not unto man, but do everything unto God. Even the things you don't like doing, but when your coworkers and your boss sees that you are giving it your all and pouring your heart into your work, and they see the way that you're treating your coworkers and your customers and other people that you interact with. They are seeing Jesus. People want to be with Jesus. People want to be with loving, forgiving, compassionate, humble Jesus. What people don't want to be around is self-righteous and condemning Christians. And unfortunately, that's been a lot of people's experience. And they don't hear and really know who Jesus is. There's a lot of misconceptions and this deception about who God is, a lot of people think, well, I'm too far from God. God can never love me. God can never forgive me. I just might as well give up. Some people say, well, i got to get myself right. i got to get my act together. Then I can come to God. Some people think God is just, he just has a bunch of rules, and you're just coming after my freedom. And, and I found some things that, that give me hope and meaning and purpose, and you just want to take those away. And if we come across that way, of course we're going to expect a fight. There's going to be resistance, but when people experience who Jesus is, by the way we love them, by the way we help them, by the way that we serve them, by the way that we pray for them, this is something they're drawn to. Story continues. The harvesters, Jesus said are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both planter and harvester alike! You know the saying, "One plants and another harvests," and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to, to get to gather the harvest. So Jesus says, there, "There's a great joy in planting." And there's a great joy in harvesting. Nobody here came to know Jesus because somebody, just one person said, hey, you want to come follow Jesus with me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. I'm a sinner, yeah. I need forgiveness. Let's pray. I think it's safe to say for most of us, there was lots of people sowing seed along the way. And I can speak for myself, there was a lot of resistance. And even though I was raised in the church, I didn't really even know. You mean God's already forgiven my sins? Jesus died on the cross for my forgiveness already? I, I didn't know that. The joy, the harvest, comes from knowing we're doing God's will, and we know what makes Him the happiest. Jesus said that the, 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 when, when one sinner repents and comes to faith in Him, there's a huge celebration Yes, God doesn't want us to lie and he doesn't want us to cheat and he doesn't want us to steal and commit adultery. But his heart, what makes his heart really glad is his sons and daughters who he's searching for, who he's looking for, who he's longing for coming back into his embrace. We have a lot of parents in here. As a dad, if one of my sons went missing and was gone for months, months and I didn't know where I would be terrified be worried and to be reunited with him just bring me such joy he says one plants and another harvest and it's true I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant others had already done the work some of this some of John the Baptist disciples had gone into some of these places and this could also be referring to some of the prophets And so that doesn't mean that that it was just easy pickings for the disciples. But what they did do, they were praying nonstop. Nonstop prayer, expectant prayer, persistent prayer, praying there for their neighborhood, praying for their community, praying for the people that were persecuting them, believing that God was working through them. So we can be praying for our workplaces, we can be praying for our neighborhood, we can be praying specifically for for whatever part of the Lehigh Valley you live in. Be praying for your home that's working the ground. You will get to gather the harvest. And we don't always get to see the full fruit of the seeds that we have sown. Some of the people that poured into my life, that poured into Pastor Joe and our brother John's life, they don't get to see the full fruit because some of them aren't even here anymore. But God used each of them. The great news is, in God's kingdom, we don't make disciples alone. I really learned about this when I first moved here. When we first began Riverbend in 2009, I started and, and, and had the opportunity to work in a brain injury rehabilitation facility. And if you know anything, you know, we know the brain is the most important part of the body. And the people that I was working with had a lot of physical, mental and emotional trauma. Physically, you had a lot of people in wheelchairs, a lot of people, some people that were blind. Mentally, you had some people that were in people like me in their mid 40s but they could only function at a fourth or fifth grade level. You had a lot of emotional outbursts, you had a lot of fights. It was it was hard. Very hard. It's probably the most painful place I've been exposed to in my life. And I was trying to teach there. And then the way that the place was run, you know, they would, they would let them go to church, but there really wasn't a belief that they could be more than just a resident. And we're just trying to give them their best life and have them go to a few appointments a week, and call it a day. But I knew and believed that God could do greater things there. And I and I and I and I started praying and, and believe me, this I was overwhelmed, and there was many times I felt really discouraged and questioned my faith through those years. But I, I did begin praying and getting connected with people that were praying. We began praying for that place. And you know, I would share my faith and try to invite people and, and sometimes was more zealous than wise didn't always do it the right way. We kept praying. And then about a five years go by, and I'm introduced to a worship leader, worship singer named Christabel Braden, who herself had suffered a brain injury. And I'm able to share her story with the staff and persuade the leadership to let her come and share her story and play for the residents. And she puts she plays concert, and she talks about how difficult her life is after a brain injury, but that Jesus is with her, and God loves her, and God hasn't given up on her, and that God keeps helping her through this, and that he wants to help them too, and man, the, the people that lived there were so blessed and encouraged by what she shared, but so was the staff, and so was the administration, and she and her mom began having relationships with some of those people. Now, I haven't worked at this place in five years. But now, she's leading a weekly Bible study there. This place now has a chaplain. And even though I'm not seeing it, I'm blessed and honored that God was, allowed me to participate in that and to be a part of what he was doing there. All right? But we don't do this, we don't make this disciples alone. God's not calling you as a person to win the entire Lehigh Valley by yourself. This is not a numbers game. And I think sometimes people get really discouraged because we don't see instant gratification. We, we really live in a, you know, on-demand society now. I can order everything when I want, how I want. You know, it comes pretty quickly. But bringing people to Jesus is a slow process oftentimes. And so sometimes we can get discouraged, but no that as we are faithful to sow the seed, God is doing the work. God is watering. God is bringing other people along. So, be encouraged by that. This is just not you. This is each of us in our areas of influence. The story continues. So many Samaritans, these hated, despised people who were nothing like Jesus from the village, believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two more days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They didn't just politely ask him to stay, they begged him. There was an urgency. Please stay. Don't go, don't go, don't go. You have what we need. You have what we want. So even though they were totally different from Jesus, they wanted to be with him, and they wanted him to stay with them. So what did he do? Continues. So he stayed. And he connected with them, and he got to know them. He stayed for two more days. That's a pretty long time. And because they experienced him, interacted with him, They heard his message and believed. Jesus went to the harvest, connected with the people, showed them his love, elevated them, shared what he was teaching, then they believed. Your own story is advancing God's harvest. Because each of us at one time were just a seed that somebody sowed. We were just a seed. At one time, we were far from God. At one time, we were struggling. At one time, we were trying to find fulfillment in money, in, 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 in our career, in relationships, and whatever it was, and we're seeing this was empty. Story is advancing the harvest. But then, we're sharing about this amazing love that pursued me when I was far from God, had suffered for every mistake, every selfish thing that I ever did, wanted to not just accept me, he, he wanted to know me as a son and as a father, which was something I really didn't have growing up. And oftentimes, when we share with other believers, what comes across is, let me just share a worldview. If I'm just sharing a worldview, I'm being so... I'm setting the bar way too low. We're sharing a relationship. As Jesus followers, this is the most important relationship in our lives. I'm sharing a relationship with the one who loves me the most, and I want you to know that love as well. I'm getting to know you as a person, as a coworker, as a neighbor. I'm praying for you, and my desire isn't for you just to accept the way that I do things, I want you to know the love of my Father because there's no greater love in this world. No person will love you more. I want you to know the love of my Father so bad because He loves you the most and it's breaking His heart that you're settling for less. So your own story, my own story, and I can talk about the things that I had a hard time with and the things that I struggled with. And that even as a Jesus follower today, there are many times I make mistakes, but that, that doesn't change God's love for you. It doesn't change God's love for me. So my story can advance the harvest. And so the Samaritans started believing because of the woman, what the woman had said and because of what they experienced and heard it from Jesus himself. So the st- story continues. Then they said, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because what we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he indeed is the savior of the world. And if I'm going to share this relationship with hurting and broken and seeking people, this needs to be my top priority. I'm not going to be able to share my faith in what God has done if he's just a part of my life, he needs to be the center of my life. That means, am I really making it a priority to get to know him? Because I cannot show who I do not know. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. You're not, if you don't stay connected to me, you're not going to do anything. And so I stay connected with him as I spend time with him in prayer. I stay connected as I spend time in scripture. And what's awesome, unfortunately, many people view this as like a thing to check off a list. No, this is somebody you're getting to know and who you will never know enough. And as I get to know him, he begins to change me. He changes my heart. He changes my desires. And I'm reminded that he's with me, that he wants to help me. He's encouraging me, correcting me. This is a growing relationship relationship. And as it continues to grow, now I can love and serve and pray for others because His love is being poured into my life. Now, for many people, what gets folks tripped up is we can sometimes focus and magnify what people are doing wrong. And look at somebody's sin, whether they're struggling with alcoholism or addiction or overeating or, or they're too career minded whatever it is and focus on what they're doing wrong and that's what this world has heard from the church for a long time unfortunately but our job and our calling as harvesters and planters is to love people love people where they are just like Jesus loved the Samaritan woman and those Samaritans where they were it's God's job to change their hearts God's job to change their hearts. And if I will do the work and love them and help them and meet them where they are and show them the love that I've been shown, that's going to bring them to Jesus. And as they get to know and as I show them, here's how you walk with God. Here's how you get to know better. He will change their hearts. But I should not let that be a stumbling block from me going and doing what he desires for me and miss out on a, the, the awesome opportunity here in the Lehigh Valley that we have, so there's harvest fields all around, and you each of us has a great story that we can tell and use and things that we can use to reap that harvest and keep sowing that seed so that our Father's heart is truly, truly blessed. Let's stand. Let's pray.